I've got a couple of announcements I'm going to make, but before we do that, um, we're going to we're going to pray uh, for the people of Ukraine. Um, just heartbreaking. Um, you know, we talk about blessing, and uh, and we are truly blessed. Um, and it should just break our hearts when, uh, when people in other parts of the world are oppressed. I mean, there's people here that are oppressed. That should break our hearts too. But, in, but when we see it on the, the news and we see how people are oppressed and killed, and we've got people in Ukraine that call upon Jesus' name. And... Uh, And that should just break our hearts. And we're going to pray. We just sang a song about God surrounding um, his people. And we're going to pray that God will surround those people and that he will protect them. And uh, so let's, let's pray. Father God, almighty God, creator of everything, Father. You are mighty and we are weak. And we, we just... We call upon you, Father, to um, surround those people. Father, the, um, we just pray, Father, for the people of Ukraine, the people in uh, Ukraine that call upon your name, Father. We pray that you will surround them and, and that you will give them peace, not only in peace in their community and their cities, but peace in their hearts, Father that you are close. Father, I just pray that you will, uh, you will surround them, that you will protect them, that you will um, soften hearts of people who are hardened, and, um, and that peace will prevail. Father, um, be with the people of Ukraine, and um, I just pray that uh, they will know that you are close. In your son's name, amen. Several weeks ago, we had mentioned that after this lesson series, we would begin a period of prayer and fasting. Starting tomorrow, the elders are encouraging everyone to participate in a two-week period of prayer and fasting. As part of this, please be asking God to help us care for each other, and to use our church to introduce the healing power of Jesus into our community and to our friends. Please, please, please be in prayer that he will use our church and that that we will seek his guidance. Josh will be entering a new sermon series starting next week, March 6th, entitled, Jesus' Seven Sayings from the Cross. This sermon series will lead us up to Easter. It will run through the seven-week Lenten season, which focuses on preparing our hearts for Jesus' resurrection. We will pause that sermon series for one week on March 13th. 
to have a time for your elders to speak to you from our hearts. This will be a time of reflection on, on Scripture, prayer, and a time of sharing what is on our hearts concerning some questions and some concerns that we have been hearing over the last few weeks. We love you all and hope you plan to be at the early or the late service to hear from us on March 13th. Well, howdy family. Thank you. It's good to see you all this morning. So glad that we get to gather and celebrate Jesus Christ together as a family. We are, as has already been mentioned, in the tail end of a series called Music and Worship. But before we do anything else, I am so thrilled that we got to witness a new birth this morning and to welcome Morgan as part of our church family. Wasn't that awesome, family? I'm just... Now, I don't want to make you jealous, but at the 9.30, not not to make you jealous, but at the 9.30, we did sing Happy Birthday to a dear member who is here this morning. He turned 90. Uh, George Davis, one of our members who's not always able to be here in person, was here, and so we celebrated that as well. And there's so many... It's John's grandfather. And so, we're just so glad to be able to celebrate these milestones and memories with one another. And today's no different Friends, I want to say to you before we get into any of the teaching today, that it's because of Jesus Christ that you and I have hope. The reason we're here is not to hear a message on music or worship. The reason we're here is not to sing a particular song. It's not even necessarily to open the scriptures to a particular place. It is to acknowledge that the creator of the universe is in our midst here And because of what he did then, it affects today and affects every other day. And I hope whatever you hear this morning, that although I pray you're encouraged, I pray that the words of my mouth are not what encourages you, but that the presence of Jesus Christ here encourages you. May we never forget that he is our all in all. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To Jesus be the glory forever. Amen? So now, with that said, we're going to dive in. I need you to grab your Bibles and go with me to Romans, the 14th chapter. We're going to cover about 21 verses as quickly as your preacher knows how. Shouldn't take us more than four or five hours. So we'll be out, you know, before this evening, okay? But we're going to answer what I think is probably the hardest question in this entire series. See, over the course of the past few weeks, we've looked at why we're considering and why the elders have decided for us to become what is called a both-and church. Both-and means we will continue offering what I believe is excellent a cappella praise. And we will also begin to offer an instrumental gathering on Sunday mornings as well. And over the course of these past three weeks, we've looked at why. And basically, it's for two reasons. Number one, there is a growing percentage of you who say instrumental praise blesses my heart. And the elders of this church want to bless the entire church. And the second reason is because for some, the lack of instrumental worship is a barrier to inviting your friends. And some of you have shared with me, you've invited them and they have said, it's too weird. I don't think I'll be coming back. Now we could argue the merits of that decision, but it is a reality that when we are trying to share the goodness of Jesus, we want to consider what are necessary and unnecessary barriers to bringing people to faith. So that was the why, week one. Week two, we said, you know, it may be why, but... If the Bible doesn't permit it, it doesn't matter. And so we talked about what Scripture teaches. And 
The scope of Scripture indicates that God not only approves, but at some places in history has commanded instrumental praise. Let me be clear, we do not believe God commands it on us. That's why we are going to continue being both and. We have freedom, we believe. And then last week, we took a step back from the question of music and looked at the idea of worship, that at the core of it all, it is not our voices or instruments that God is listening to, but it is our hearts. That God desires more than anything else your heart. It is possible to give God our obedience while retaining our hearts. But it's impossible to give God your heart and keep your obedience to yourself. And so we looked at what that looks like to be a people whose worship extends from Sunday throughout the week, and we are life-giving, worshiping people. And today we're going to talk about the hardest topic, I believe. <clears throat> Before I get into that, though, just a, one more little note here about what's starting next Sunday. Put that slide back up, if you will. Next Sunday, I'm so excited, we're going to begin looking at the seven sayings from the cross. There are seven sayings that Jesus makes while doing what only he could do to save you and me from hell. And these seven sayings throughout church history have been markers leading up to Easter that the church has reflected upon. And I will tell you, as I've re-studied these, there are things that I have never noticed before. And I'm so excited that as a family, we get to come around the teachings and sayings of Jesus in those final moments as we prepare our hearts for Resurrection Sunday in just a few weeks. So I hope you will plan to be here, bring your Bibles, be engaged, because I believe it will be a blessing. Now... Today, what are we going to talk about? Here's the big idea. How do we move forward in unity? And more than that, the question is, how do we have difficult conversations with loved ones? Whether we're talking about both and worship or any other topic, is it true, church? The answer is yes. Is it true that we have difficult conversations with people we love from time to time? Yeah, absolutely. And today, while we're thinking about this from the vantage point of both and, it is true that if we understand the principles Paul will lay out in just a moment, it will greatly benefit you in every relationship. Because there are moments where you will disagree with others, and how you disagree more than how you agree demonstrates the character and maturity of the Christ follower. You don't have to agree, friends, with other Christians on all topics. But we want to be Christians who follow how Scripture teaches us to disagree. Amen? Amen? We want the Bible to lead us. And so we're going to do that this morning. And I will tell you, of all the topics, I think this is the touchiest topic. Because it's one thing to say, Scripture says. It's another thing to say, this is why we're doing it. But when we talk about our family, the men and women who've raised us, our grandparents, the churches that we love, that we were raised in, and we begin to talk about differences, this is no longer simply an intellectual conversation. It becomes an emotional one as well. And so I want us to tread very carefully. I'm going to say something this morning that I hope will be helpful, but I'm going to ask you to listen very carefully, please, so that we are able to end up at the same place, I hope, at the end of our time together. Now, we knew from the start this would be the biggest challenge or topic. I love this. I'm getting go bugs or uh, what was that? Put that back up. Just, just, I, I'm not going to be able to preach without seeing this. Go Bucks. Man, I love that. That's great. Okay. <clears throat> no idea what that means, but we're back at it. Side note, I preached at a church once where there was a woman who had a fuzzy number one finger and said, Go Jesus on it. 
So if you want to do that, feel free. All right, where were we? We knew this was going to be one of the hardest conversations because of the emotions and all. In fact, over the course of these weeks, I've had many of you catch me in the halls. Only one person has come to me directly and said they have an issue with this from Scripture. Everyone else has shared a feeling of opinion or preference or concern. And many of you have expressed concern because of family and how this will impact you. And friends, that should not surprise us. Consider where we live. We are in the buckle of the Bible Belt. Anything we do here will be impacted, or at least others around us will hear about it and have a lot to say about it. In fact, if you do a little survey of our little area, Hamilton County, we have about 366,000 people who call this area home. Do you know how many churches of Christ are in our county? 33. Now, you say, well, is that a lot? Friends, that is a ton for one county. That is more churches of Christ in our county than many states have in the entire state. We have more churches in Hamilton County than 21 individual states in the United States have churches of Christ. So is it any surprise that anything any church does, others are going to have an opinion because there are a lot of us here. And so we want to talk about this thoughtfully. So before we get into the text, I need to address two groups here in the audience. The first one is to my friends here who did not grow up in the churches of Christ. A buddy of mine came to me right before this message and said, Diggs, when are we going to be done with this message series? Like, can we just get on with Jesus and other stuff? I don't care. He was far more graceful than that. But if you did not grow up in the church of Christ, here's what I'd ask you. Be patient. This is a big deal for some in our family. And one of the ways we show grace is by the time we take to dialogue, process. And that's why the elders, although the decision is made, we're not talking about doing this in the next three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, but rather six to eight months from now. So be patient. Now, if you grew up in the church of Christ, if you're my people, if you have sort of your roots deeply in the churches of Christ, here's what I would invite you to consider. Number one, disagreeing with your past is not the same thing as disrespecting your past. Friends, this is so important. If you grew up like I did, being taught that the Bible is the final arbiter of truth, that it is our authority. My mom and dad, I love them, but they would tell me they're not my final authority. The scriptures are. The restoration movement of which the churches of Christ came from, I respect the leaders, but they're not my final authority. The scripture is. So if you study the scriptures and you come to a different conclusion than your parents or the founders of our movement... It is not disrespecting them to do what you believe Scripture teaches. Rather, that is honoring what they've asked you to do. My mom and dad love me, and they've said, Josh, if ever the teaching of Scripture contradicts from what you believe we've taught you, you follow Scripture. You will be responsible to stand before God on your own, not with us standing between you. So friends, as we talk about this, recognize that as touchy as it may be, Disagreeing is not the same thing as disrespecting. Now, here's the question. How do you talk to people that you love? How do you talk to people you love who disagree on topics? Quick question, show of hands. Is it true? Well, let's do it this way. How many of you grew up in a family? Can I see a show of hands? You grew up in a... Keep your hands up. Just go ahead. All right, now look around, look around. How many of you ever disagreed with any member of your family ever? How many of you had siblings? 
Some of you were doing this on the drive here. Some of you will do it on the drive home. Some of you just don't stop, so keep your hands raised all morning. It's just the way it is. So how do you talk to people and disagree without being disagreeable on any topic? Well, the answer really depends on do they view the topic as a matter of salvation or a matter of opinion? Now, a matter of salvation is when you see an issue as something that if you do it, you may be sinning and therefore going to hell. Some of you are related to people, I am, for instance, who would see this topic of both and as a matter of salvation. And for some, they would say, if you practice this, you are sinning and you may be going to hell. So the first thing is, how do you answer that I don't have a great answer for that one, and here's why. The Scriptures teach very clearly that the only thing that saves us from sin is not a style of worship. It's not attending a Bible class. It's not where you worship on a Sunday morning. The only one who saves us from our sin is Jesus Christ. It is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that I have hope and you have hope. There is nothing else that gives salvation. And Paul says for us to look to anything else, Jesus plus anything is to offer a false or corrupt or perverted gospel. That's Galatians 1, 6 through 8. So if someone in your family holds this opinion that it is a matter of salvation, my best encouragement and advice to you is simply this. Be kind as you stand in your conviction. Be kind as you stand in your conviction. In other words... If it were me, and it is in some circumstances, I simply refuse to get in fights over these matters. I listen, I love, I leave. And in some cases, we have to do what one wise mama said to her boys who differed on politics. She said, boys, let's talk about that some other time. You may be in a position where if they believe that this is salvation, you cannot simply have a debate or an argument with them. In fact, being kind is always a good answer when you disagree with someone. Amen? This is your family. This is your family. Now, if it's a matter of opinion, if it's not a matter of salvation, then the good news is Romans chapter 14 gives us some great principles, true for what we're talking about with both and, but true for all differing moments, because there will be times where you disagree and differ with other brothers and sisters, and the principles we're about to read, I believe, will help us today and in days to come. So, if you will, let's look together at Romans chapter 14. We'll begin in verse 1. As you're getting there, let me give you a little context. Paul the Apostle wrote the book of Romans, or the letter to the Roman church, in part due to this man right here. This stoic-looking fellow is Emperor Claudius. He ruled as the Roman emperor from A.D. 41 to A.D. 54. Now, he got sick and tired of all the fights and rebellions caused by the Hebrew people across his empire. And so he finally decided, I'm done. You can't do that in my backyard anymore. And so he expelled all of the Hebrews, all of the Jews from the city of Rome. That included the Jewish Christians. Now, this once Jewish Gentile church in Rome is now no longer a Jewish church. It is exclusively a Gentile church. Years pass. Claudius dies. The Jews are able to return. And when they come back, they see the church and it is different than the one they left. They're... It's like parents when they come home from a long weekend and you threw the party you weren't supposed to have. 
That's how they approach this and go, what are you doing? You're celebrating some days as holy, other days as not holy. You have different dietary things going on. What is happening? And although the issues and practices were not unbiblical, they certainly made some uncomfortable. And so Paul begins to teach them, how do you deal with differences of opinion? In fact, that's exactly what the book of Romans is all about. It begins by him saying, we are all sinners. Doesn't matter if you were raised in the church or not. We are all sinners. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ that we are saved. Jew or Gentile, Jesus saves. And he has taken us and made us one. In fact, he uses the image in chapter 12 of a body. He says, we are the parts of the body of Christ. The nose, the ears, the toes, the hands. We are different parts. This is why, as Daryl was saying, although we may not feel persecuted in America, our brothers and sisters, the body is being persecuted around the world, and that should cause us to hurt. Think about it with me. When you're getting up in the middle of the night, got to get a drink of water. You're stumbling around and you stub your toe. You do not say, well, because my toe hurts, the rest of us, I don't feel it, no big deal. No, 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 no. When you stub your toe, what does the rest of your body do? It pauses and decides to have a dedicated moment to commiserate with a toe. The rest of the body may even begin to do a little dance. The mouth part of the body may start saying some stuff. All of this is a reflection of empathizing with the toe. And Paul says, we are a part of the body of Christ. Love one another. And now in chapter 14, he's about to say, and when you disagree on disputable matters, matters of opinion, let me tell you how to do it well. He begins in verse 1 with these words. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, the specific issue here is, can Christians eat meat sacrificed to idols? That's the specific issue that Paul's using as a case study to show principles for how to deal with any disagreement between brothers and sisters in the church. And there were some who said, hey, it doesn't matter if it was sacrificed to an idol or not. I'm not worshiping the idol when I eat it. And to others who came out of a pagan lifestyle where eating the meat was an act of worship to the God, they say, I can't do that because it is an act in my mind of worship to my sinful former life. And so Paul begins by giving this wonderful principle. You see the key in verse 3, in fact, where he says, those who think you are free to do things, don't look down on those who think you can't. And those who say, no, 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 I am not free, don't look down on those who say you can In other words, here's a principle to all Christians. He starts here. Treat each other with mutual respect. With mutual respect. The attitude of the Christian is, I'm here to bless you. You're here to bless you. You're here to bless you. We are here to bless one another. And it's hard to do that when we look down on one another or disrespect a brother or sister in the faith. So he starts there and says, for everyone... 
treat one another with mutual respect. And now he's going to begin dealing with the two different groups who are disagreeing on this topic. Now, this is one of two moments in the message that you may misunderstand what I'm about to say, so please listen carefully. He's about to use terms that for some of us may be offensive. He's about to call some stronger Christians and others weaker Christians. Do not let those terms trip you up. He is simply trying to describe where he lands on this particular issue, and he's trying to help them understand who he's talking to within the text. In fact, if you want to write this down, this is so important. Big key, big key. Stronger does not equal better. Weaker does not equal better. If you are in this situation, whatever the situation is, the stronger Christian, don't you dare get proud. It doesn't make you better. If you are weaker in this situation or whatever situation, don't get proud. It doesn't make you better. Why? Because we are all equal at the foot of the cross of Jesus. There are no better Christians than other Christians. In fact, here's something else to consider. Each of us will be the stronger sibling and the weaker sibling at different points in our faith journey. Why? Because we are all on the journey. So if I am weak today in an area, I need your grace. And if I'm strong in an area today, I need to extend grace. And this is one of the ways that we don't look down on one another. Now, he's going to start talking to the two groups. The next few verses, 5 through 12, he's going to address primarily what he's calling the weaker brother. Again, does not mean better or worse. It's just one group who feels limited in what they can do in this particular situation. Notice his words to them. He's going to give them instruction. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another, meaning this day is a holy day versus that. Another considers every day alike. Well, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. This is another way of saying whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. Eat meat, don't eat meat. Celebrate certain days, don't celebrate it. But celebrate and give praise to God always and in all things. He goes on, for none of us lives for ourselves and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, notice this, notice this. Why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, notice this, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I will not give an account for you. You will not give an account for me. We are responsible for ourselves. And so Paul's words to those who say, I'm not comfortable with This particular issue, this particular topic, his words to the weaker sibling is simply this. Next slide. Don't judge the heart of your stronger sibling. Let God be the judge. Now again, weaker doesn't mean better or worse. Stronger doesn't mean better or worse. The point is, wherever you find yourself, if you in a particular issue find yourself uncomfortable or not sure, or you're the one he would categorize in that situation as the weaker sibling, do not 
judge the hearts or the motives of the brother or sister who feel comfortable doing something. For instance, well, the reason they want to do that is because they just want a concert. Or it's just a performance. Or this is, you know, if they were just more mature, this wouldn't matter. We're not in the position to judge the hearts of our brothers and sisters. I cannot judge your heart. We cannot judge one another's hearts. So wherever you find yourself, he's going to say, do not judge the hearts of your brothers and sisters. But he's not done. He's now going to talk to those who in certain situations will be the stronger sibling. Notice what he says beginning in 13. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. That's the summary of what he's just said. And he goes on. Instead, make up your mind not to put any, what are these two words? Stumbling block. Ooh, we're going to have to deal with that this morning, aren't we? Don't put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Meaning you can eat anything. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. So do not, by your eating, destroy, such a good, strong word, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In other words, he's saying at the core, we are Christians not because of what we do on a Sunday morning in a room. We are Christ followers when we have been baptized and we live our lives in service to God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God the Father. So let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to, notice this, Mutual edification. That's the point he made in verses 1 through 4. He finishes with these words. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. There's that word again. It is better not to eat meat, or notice this little phrase, or drink wine, or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So what does he say? To the weaker ones, do not judge. And to the stronger ones, he makes this point. Next slide. Don't use your freedom to make your weaker siblings stumble into sin. Doesn't make you better because you're strong. Doesn't make them better because they're weak. But don't you dare use your freedom to cause a weaker sibling to stumble into sin. Paul says mutual respect and love. And if you are the one who's struggling in an area, don't look down. And if you feel free in an area, don't you use your freedom as a means of hurting another Christian, leading them into sin. This is the plain teaching. But here's the problem with this plain teaching. There's something that's not so plain in the teaching, isn't it? It's that little word, stumble. Go back to that word. This little word, stumble. This word is a tough word. In fact, let's just be honest. Or, and maybe this isn't you. Maybe it's just me. But when I read this, I automatically think, I'm the strong Christian. I've been in the church a long time. I've been a Christ follower for over 30 years. Clearly, I am a strong Christian. This, this is me. Until I get to about verse 19 and I realize, 
you know, it might be more advantageous to be the weaker Christian in certain matters. Because then what I want or what I feel comfortable with is what dictates what we all do. So if I'm weak in an area, that might actually help me out. So we've got to answer, what is this idea of a stumbling block? What is that? Because if we understand that, we'll understand what Paul is actually talking about. Because isn't it true? Isn't it true? Or let me ask it this way. Don't answer out loud, but just think with me. Should a church only do what the person who's least comfortable with, comfortable doing? In other words, if a member in the church is only comfortable with us taking communion from one cup, because Jesus took the cup, not many cups, should the church therefore only take communion from one cup? I've seen some of y'all. My answer is no. You've seen me. Your answer is no. Either that or you want to be in the front of the line to take communion on Sunday, right? So should we only do what the least comfortable person is comfortable with doing? Or what about this? Some, because the scriptures speak nothing about youth group and nothing about children's ministry, some would say and have said and left the church when churches add Bible class for kids and youth. So should we remove Bible classes for our teens and our children? In other words, what the least comfortable person is comfortable with doing, do that. We go through a list of these things. So we've got to answer, what is a stumbling block? So stay with me for a few more minutes. This is very important. Now, this is the second place where you may misunderstand what I'm about to say. So lean in, stay close, because I want to make sure we're all in this together. The question is, what is a stumbling block? If we as Christ followers, and some days you're going to be the strong brother, so you need to know what this means. What is the stumbling block? If you do a little search, the word stumbling block shows up for the first time in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Ah, everyone's favorite nighttime sleeping book. Amen? If you're tired and you want to get to sleep, just read a few chapters of that. After you get through the first few chapters of skin diseases, you'll be out like a log. The first place, though, that we hear about stumbling block is in chapter 19. And I think this is hilarious. Verse 14 says this. It's not on the screen, so jot this down if you want to giggle later. The, the thing that is said, it says, do not curse the deaf. Why? They're deaf. They can't hear it. It would be cruel to meet someone who's deaf and speak ugly to them because they can't hear what you're saying. That's being a jerk. 21st century translation. He then goes on to say, so do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of a blind person. Why? Again, that would be cruel. They can't see and you're intentionally doing something that will cause them to fall to be hurt. So that might be helpful. We say that does Okay. The most helpful verse about what a stumbling block is, is Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is facing Jerusalem. He is on his way to the crucifixion, to the cross, to die for the sins of the world. And he begins to teach his followers that he must die. He must take on the entire sin of the world. He must experience the excruciating suffering that goes with it. And Peter doesn't like what he's hearing. So he pulls Jesus aside, and the scriptures say that Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. Do you know what a rebuke is? No, you're wrong. You will not die. You will not suffer. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You're the almighty God. You can destroy the Romans. We can rule this world. You just say it. We'll do it. Jesus, you are wrong. Now, why did Jesus come to the earth, church? To die on the cross for our sins. 
God sent his son on a mission to die for you and for me. If Jesus does everything else right, but he is disobedient in death on the cross, then all is lost. In fact, let's take it a step further. We know in Jesus' human nature, he was not keen on going to the cross. How do we know that? The night before he was betrayed and died, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is praying to the Father. He is so much in anguish that he is sweating sweat drops of blood, and he prays, Father, if there's any other way for this cup or this death, for this thing to happen, please let me do anything else. I don't want to do this. But then he says the most important phrase, not my will be done, but thy will be done. I'll submit to what you say. So Jesus, not desiring the experience of death, but being fully willing to obey the Father, tells his followers, this is what I'm about to do. And one of them says, no, you won't. Don't say that. Stop it. Stop it. And Jesus says this very famous phrase. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, by the way, if you're looking for friend nicknames, I'd find a better one than this. Get behind me, tempter. Get behind me, the one who's pulling me away. You are, he says, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, Jesus is equating a stumbling block to a temptation that draws you away from God's heart and will for your life. It is not merely, I don't prefer something or I'm not comfortable with something. A biblical stumbling block, and this, to my stronger friends, whenever you're strong in a particular area, this is the part where you have to listen very carefully. Do not use your freedom to do something that will tempt a fellow Christian into something that will be sinful. And those are the key words. In fact, let's put this up. A stumbling block is something that tempts a weaker sibling into sin. Again, weaker doesn't mean bad, doesn't mean worse. just means they're at a different point in this one place. But a stumbling block is anything you or I do that tempts someone away from God's call in their life, that tempts them into sin. So Paul, talking to them very specifically, says, some of you came out of pagan worship where you would worship an idol by eating meat sacrificed to the idol. For some of you, eating meat draws you into sinful, idolatrous worship. You cannot, in good conscience, eat that meat no matter how much you may want to. Others of you, you can eat that T-bone. You can get in there. Mm. But how cruel would it be for you to do that in front of this brother or sister who, seeing your freedom in Christ, is tempted into that act, thus going back into a sinful mindset or lifestyle? Notice the other thing he says in verse 20. He mentions, don't eat meat or don't drink wine if it causes a sibling to stumble. I have three different friends who from high school became alcoholics. One of them I took to rehab twice. Now, the scripture is very clear that there is nothing sinful about alcohol consumption. What is sinful is getting drunk. Amen? Okay? So it would still, am I free in Christ to have a beer? According to Scripture, yes. Alcohol, wine, yes. 
but it would be a stumbling block for me to crack one open in front of this friend who for him, he desires it, but he knows if he takes that step, it will lead him into sin. And to those of us, if you have freedom in areas that will tempt someone into a lifestyle or back into something, Paul's uniform commandment is don't use your freedom to cause someone else to be tempted back into sin. So the key thing is, ask yourself this question. It is a stumbling block if you are actually tempted to do it. If you have no interest, no desire, it's not a, it's not a stumbling block biblically. Maybe something you don't prefer or are uncomfortable with, but it's not a stumbling block. But if it's something you go, I, I just, I want to, but I, if I do, I, I can't, then you should not feel bad expressing to those who know you best, love you most, say, this is an area I struggle with. And if you're on the other side and a sibling says, that's something I struggle with because I so badly want to do that, but when I do it, my mind is far from God. It it leads me back into something that I can't go back into. Then out of the love for your sibling and ultimately for Jesus, we say, well, then I'll have nothing to do with it either. Not around you. How do you deal with differences of opinion? It's not a matter of what do you feel comfortable with. It's, will it cause someone to go into sin? And so so let's just sort of end where we began here. Verse 1 through 4, summary statement. I don't want you to get lost, so here's the bottom line. Paul says this, treat each other with mutual respect. Because I love you, I will treat you as best I know how. Because you love me, you'll treat me as well as you know how. Because we love each other, we will treat one another with mutual respect. Whatever the topic, whatever the issue, the way the church of Jesus Christ demonstrates indoors and to the watching world, the heartbeat of Jesus, is we show one another mutual respect, especially when we disagree. We say, I love you and I will respect you. My, uh, over the past few weeks, I have been so impressed with our shepherds. And of course, whenever there's any form of discussion, there are things that maybe could have been said a little different or done a little differently. But the elders have been thoughtful. They have been deliberative. They have met with, to my knowledge, everyone who's asked to meet, they have met with them. And they have expressed and listened and talked. And I love their heart that they want to bless the whole body, that this is a mutual respect issue in their minds, the both and, because there are some in our church who desperately want this and they want to show mutual respect to that group as much as to those of us who may prefer this other kind. And I want you to know, I 100% agree and support their decision and I respect the process, but I also respect the fact that they're giving time for prayer and tomorrow I'm going to invite you to join me in two weeks of prayer and fasting. That we would be the kind of people that we've just read about who say, I respect my brothers and sisters. So that as we love one another, Jesus would receive glory and his name would be seen as actually powerful in drawing different people together because of the way we treat one another. Paul ends with these verses that we'll end with this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close this teaching. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, these beautiful words, may these be our prayer today. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had 
so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God the Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you accepted us. While we were still sinners, you died. You humbled yourself on a cross so that we could be drawn to you. Lord, I thank you for this church family at Clear Creek. I thank you for every brother and sister. We thank you for the privilege of being able to worship together and celebrate Jesus and encourage one another. I thank you even for these opportunities where I've had to grow a lot. And I pray that you will help each of us in these seasons. May we, Lord, treat one another with mutual respect so that Jesus is proven to be true when he says he will draw all men to him. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. And all those who agreed said, Amen. Amen.